Mark, welcome back, my man. Hey, good morning. We're recording in the morning. We don't usually do that. New to, new to us. I got, I got my coffee here in hand. This is very new and, and different. Better lighting, though, I think. Yeah, I think so. How's your week? Great, so far. What made it great? That sounds compelling. I'm here with you. I'm here Come with you. Come on. That's it? <laughs> Just me? We've been busy building cool stuff. Yeah. Shipping code, making, making podcasts. Talking about other podcasts? Yeah. No, that's been great. That's been I'm great. having fun. I got to do the thing. I got to switch you. I'm like, I got to make you bigger. There we go. Much better. This is great content for everybody listening and not watching. Yes. Well, that's a good note. We are, you know, we are shipping this podcast on YouTube as well. So if you feel inclined that you want to watch us, that's available. Oh yeah. If you want to see what we look like, it's one of those things too. I always feel like, are you one of the people who like hates how you sound when you like, this goes back to my childhood, like on a tape recorder, I'd listen to myself and I'd be like, what? That's how I sound? Yes. But I feel like I've gotten over that a bit over time. Um, and it pales in comparison to watching, watching myself. So oh, when yeah, I, when I see the video of this and then have to do some editing to it and make some clips to share, it's much more about why am I making that face and why am I so serious? And yeah. why so serious? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to focus. I want to, I want to make good content. Okay. Well, we're here to make some good content. Episode three. Are yes, episode, episode three. three. Three weeks in, we're keeping it consistent. Topic, uh, topic of the day is who should be most worried with the Drupal 7 end of life? Yeah? Yes. But before that, you're going to tease some stuff. Look at us. Yes. We have two upcoming things that we wanted to share. Uh, April 12th, we have a webinar, The Risks You Face Staying on Drupal 7. If you're listening to this podcast, then this webinar is most likely also for you. It's free. The link is in the show notes. Um, so sign up and we hope to see a bunch of you there. The other thing to mention too is if uh, you can't make that time slot, just sign up anyways and we'll send you the recording afterwards. That's right. You don't have to miss any of this juicy, juicy D7 content. Okay, what was the other thing you were gonna tease? There's two things. Yes, MidCamp coming up at the end of April uh, in Chicago. I'm gonna be speaking. There's gonna be a lot of other great speakers uh, with a bunch of Drupal content. So um, if you are in the area or want to be in the area, sign up. We hope to see you there. Yeah, I would also just say as a native Chicagoan, the area in which MidCamp is always held, it's on DePaul's campus. DePaul is a beautiful campus. That's a cool little area to hang around. So if you've never been up there, you should come out anyways. If you're a Drupalista, Drupal Ninja, what do we call them now? If you're a Drupaler, get your tail up there, check it out. It's, it's a great camp for sure. And find us and say hi. Yeah, find Mark for sure. I may not be there, yeah. but Mark I'll will be definitely there. be there. I'll be there. Um, I'll probably be there because Mark will be in town and all that kind of stuff. All right. Episode three, who should be most worried with D7's end of life? Um, I figure there's there's a number of different audiences in some of the writing I've been doing and some of the preparing I've been doing. I've been thinking about like who are all the end users of Drupal. So you've got like, you know, editors, you've got site builders, you've got developers, you've got agencies, you've got organizations who are running, you know, publications with Drupal. There's like the list goes on and on. But and and we've talked previously about how 
uh, Drupal 7 end of life might affect them and what it means tactically, like with releases, security advisories not coming out. What does that mean for them? How will they keep things secure? But we haven't really talked about what groups of people are most at risk. And what I mean is there, there are probably groups of people who Drupal 7 end of Drupal 7's end of life may be just a blip on the radar and not really matter too much. Um, so I don't know, let, let's, let's start to pull apart who should be most worried or most concerned. Um, so yeah, you want to like open that can, you want to see what you can start with? Yeah. When I think about this, I first think of the other side of the scale, like who are the people that don't need to be concerned and or less uh, concerned or less concerned. So it's easy to paint with a broad brush and say, end of life is coming. Here are all the things that are going to happen when end of life arrives. We, we've talked about a lot of those things. The, um, but it's going to be different for different constituents and there's going to be, and depending on the site, if you have a site that, um, you built 10 years ago and the content is not the canonical place that that content lives, maybe it's a, you know, a history of your journal, your writing, but it's not the only place that content lives. And if it disappeared tomorrow, you'd shrug your shoulders and be like, okay, it's nice that it was there, but I didn't lose anything. That's mm -hmm. one end of the scale, right? The other end of the scale would be, you know, a site that your business relies on, uh, yeah. you know, whether it's for e-commerce or marketing, advertising, um, if you're, if you have a great deal of content, if that content only lives in that one place, if it's the canonical source of it, and if something happened to it, if it was compromised, you would be panicked, uh, at best, uh, then that's the other end of the scale. Yeah. So I'm trying to think, uh, about the first, first part of that was folks who might have content that they're not, not so concerned about or a website that once was uh, super important to them, but now has faded and is still up and they're maybe paying a couple bucks a month in hosting or, or maybe it's on some server that's a shared server or something. It just, it's not a big deal to them. And if that site was compromised or their hosting provider decided we're no longer gonna support the version of PHP that Drupal 7 requires, it going away would not be a big deal. The other end of the spectrum is businesses, organizations, communities where um, they're still thriving. And Drupal 7 is a per has been a great tool for them, a perfect fit. And perhaps moving to something else has been too daunting, too expensive, too time consuming, um, just a lower priority. Those are the folks who should be most concerned. And, and maybe we could peel apart what about those sites is different that would be more would should make them more concerned, not just that they care about having that website up or that it's important to their community or important to their business, but what are the specifics underneath that that would be concerning post Drupal 7 end of life? I think that if you're in the, the side of the scale where the website is very important to you personally or to your business, um, you know, if it was a very simple website, if we're talking about a website with a few pages, easy content, then I'm guessing you might have, you've probably already moved your site to mm -hmm. modern Drupal or to, or somewhere else. I think that where things get tricky is, you know, assuming you're not on the end of the scale where it's like, ah, this could go away. Um, 
you know, but your site is complicated. You've had custom code, you've written custom code, or you've had custom code written for you. You've hired someone to, to you know, develop custom functionality and it has become important or was always important to you or your business. You know, you're left in a precarious situation where this is going to be, um, you know, complicated potentially mm -hmm. to move, you know, and then you get into like, peeling that, you know, I don't know if this I almost said, I almost said lemon two episodes ago. I peel the lemon. I would slice the onion in a different direction. But the, uh, you know, if this site is so important to your business, if it's, you know, generating a, bit, a fair bit of revenue, then it, the case is easier to say like, well, this is a huge risk, the end of life. We need to, uh, invest and make this move or make a move so then the case is a little bit easier maybe you haven't had sort of a um a trigger moment uh until now trigger moment being you know a great time to do a replatforming a redesign a, you know some new big uh functionality that you're bringing like well let's let's move to modern drupal now because we're yeah. already doing a bunch of work but if you haven't had those things this is now that trigger moment the Drupal seven end of life, you know, now you have this to make the case of like, well, we don't have much of a choice anymore. We have to do something. So let's do it. Um, but I think there's a lot of people in the sort of in that middle ground where the site's important, but not so important that it's, um, obvious the value in spending a, a, a fair bit of time, effort, money to get to modern Drupal. So, you know, I think those are the folks that are are still still here on Drupal seven. Yeah, kind of stuck in the middle. Yes, that, there's probably hundreds of thousands of sites. Maybe I don't know how many. There's four hundred thousand plus sites still reporting to Drupal.org as Drupal seven and untold others that don't report back. There's probably a good portion of those who don't really generate a ton of revenue or are smaller communities that are you know niche or just really important to everybody that's still hanging around to those sites for whatever reason. And the energy, effort, money required to get to modern Drupal, even if they love Drupal and wanted to stay in Drupal, might be too great for that organization or that community or that group of folks. Um, okay, that makes sense to me. That's another layer to the lemon, so to speak, that uh, describes the precarious state that anybody who's on Drupal 7 is. I want to talk more about what are the specifics um, for these sites that we're talking about that are still on Drupal 7 for one reason or the other. What are the specifics about their sites, their content, that would make it riskier to stay on Drupal 7 than some of those folks on the other end of the scale that are, you know, it's a niche blog and they've got the content stored elsewhere or just not nearly as important if it were to go away or to be compromised and they'll, they'll let it run until, until, you know, um, the gas runs out, so to speak. The folks on the other end of the spectrum, what are the things about their sites that would make them more risky to stay on Drupal seven post end of life? I'm thinking about like personally identifiable information. What are the other types of things like that? So I don't know. What, what do you got? Yeah. I don't want to oversimplify too much and because I think a lot of folks out there you know, any of these scenarios are not great, but the, you know, if you have content that, you know, you have 
PII, either yours, your colleagues, or um, or users of your sites, customers, you know, that's a huge, you know, those are the people that probably are most concerned and should be most concerned. Um, because there are also, you know, it's not just a potentially a business headache if something is compromised, but also potentially a legal one, all mm -hmm. that fun, not fun stuff. Um, yeah, the things like LastPass is dealing with right now. Yeah, total you breach. don't want to, none of us want to deal with that. So, um, you know, that's, that's a great example. But then also stuff, maybe you have, um, you know, again, content that's canonical. You don't want to lose that content. It's the only place it is. But especially if you have content, maybe you have content in your site that's not public, you know, so you've got some some parts of the content is public, but others are only for internal use or only for um, archival purposes, and that's not exposed to the public web. Um, that's a potential risk that if there was uh, if the site was compromised in some way, um, you know, or if you have whole pieces of content in the same you know in the same state, some that's only uh, visible internally or not published. Um, you know, these are the things that I would be concerned about. You know, if I was on a platform, any platform, but if I was on Drupal 7 and uh, with an end of life date approaching where security um, processes and patches and releases was going to stop in the near future. Uh, so we got personally identifiable information, canonical source of content, like this content super important. What, el what else? What about um, API keys, um, integrations with a CRM where say they're on HubSpot or Salesforce and there's API keys are stored within Drupal. If they were compromised, then someone could have access to those API keys and then thus get access to potentially a ton of personally identifiable information and you're back in the same place. Right, so anything sensitive, anything that, you know, where you're talking to another system and, um, you know, is a potential attack vector, uh, not just for the site itself, but then to jump to other systems. Uh, and then you are looking at, then you need to then be concerned about what um, data or keys or any of those things are available in that system. So it's kind of a chain reaction. Um, and that's why we're always concerned about securing every point of entry. And we don't want to, um, you know, have a vulnerability even at just one because it could potentially open up access to others. Yeah. Just trying to think of the other, what other things about some of these sites would be potentially more concerning for. What do you think folks should do? If, if there are people in, you know, we hypothetically, we've got these hypothetical folks who, um, on, you know, if their site was super uh, business critical, hopefully they've already moved off Drupal 7, but these mm -hmm. folks that are kind of in the middle, the site's important to them, important to their business, but they're still on Drupal 7 for one reason or another. Um, you know, what are their options at this point? Yeah. If we're speaking strictly about those folks stuck sort of in the middle who haven't move to Drupal 10. Of course, moving to modern Drupal is an option, but there's probably a good reason they have not yet done that. Um, and, it, and or they may just 
not know that moving to Drupal, modern Drupal, uh, may not be as big a lift as they think. They may just be assuming like, oh, I've heard this, I've heard that. My site is too important. I don't want to, I don't want to mess with it. Um, it's a house of cards already. I don't want to mess with it. You know, some developers built it years and years ago. I haven't touched the code in years or whatever the situation is. There are, I think there are instances where the site is simple enough and where they're using modules that are, you know, in Drupal core and like a migration would not be a huge lift. Um, or as big a lift as some of the more complicated sites are. That's a great point. And I would say too, you know, we've been talking about this, about moving off Drupal 7 for many years. So mm -hmm. for us, we're, I, I think even myself, I'm making a bunch of assumptions in my head that like the people who are responsible for these sites are doing the same, but I can also imagine maybe someone just joined an organization and suddenly they're responsible for a Drupal 7 site and they don't know the history or mm -hmm. the history is kind of unimportant of how we got here, but they need to evaluate now, like, well, okay, I'm responsible for this site now. What can I do? And so the first and most obvious option is to move to modern Drupal. And so um, that can range in levels of complexity. So that, that yeah. needs to be evaluated first. When you say it's most obvious, outside of the fact that the name is still on the tin, that they're both Drupal, the other reasons someone might consider that or that it might be obvious is that so much of what was in Drupal 7 is now part of Drupal core, like contrib modules like views. Views wasn't in core in Drupal 7, right? Right. It came in Drupal 8. Um, other things like that, where uh, baseline functionality has gotten so much better with modern Drupal that you don't even have to worry about contributed modules. And, um, you know, the Anything that you could do in Drupal 7, I'm sure there's some caveats here, but anything you could do in Drupal 7, you can do in modern Drupal. So, you know, Drupal 10 at this point. Um, so, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I think, you know, Drupal, modern Drupal, Drupal 10 is a great product. It's a great CMS, a great framework. And we do a lot of work with Drupal because it's super flexible. Um, we can, build tons of custom integration, tons of custom functionality when needed. Um, and we feel we don't feel like we are um, bending ourselves in a, into a pretzel to do that or bending the mm -hmm. product into a pretzel to do that. Yeah. So, you know, if those are the reasons why you picked Drupal 7, then Drupal 10, modern Drupal is also a great, uh, still a great fit for yeah. you. Um, if there are different reasons why you picked Drupal 7, then maybe there are other options to consider as well. well you've just reminded me too of um, the Dries note from last year's North American DrupalCon in Portland, where you'll have the details much better than me because your memory is much better than mine, even though you're a little bit older than me. The, that Dr where Drupal is headed is all about staying uh, super relevant with regards to an enterprise level CMS but also building in things that attract the, the casual site builder, that, uh, that attract folks who are not worried, who don't wanna be running, you know, like some crazy auto deployments and billing with Composer. There's auto updates are coming. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, some of the great work that's been done with editorial UIs and, and admin themes and front end themes, like, uh, is it Umami? Like these, there's yeah. some great things that are being built. I can't remember the name of what Mike Herschel has been working on, but he did some amazing work on, on the, on a new theme. What was that called? Olivero? Olivero. Yeah. Uh, amazing stuff. Uh, so like where Drupal is headed, I think is back to a place where 
folks who might have chosen Drupal years ago because it was like, wow, this is like plug and play. It's like Lego building. I can I can get so far with so little effort and no money, essentially, uh, because it's all open source. Uh, I think Drupal's sort of headed back there for more strategic reasons, like building the building up the community a little bit more, getting more contributors to the code, enticing some of those um, you know, developers who are early in their career um, and who years from now, if they start learning Drupal from a site building perspective or just a theming perspective, might be core contributors in a few years because they the, 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 en the barrier to entry will be lower to use Drupal. I think that's super smart. Um, so in that way, there's like a coming full circle with, at least in my mind, of what Drupal 7 was, Drupal 6 and 7 were, uh, to me early in my career and where Drupal as a product is is headed um, or headed back to. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think there's a bit of a correction happening where as we moved from Drupal 7 to modern Drupal, we picked up a lot of improvements that enabled um, you know, more modern workflows using Composer, um, you know, enabling um, you know, the work of complicated sites and working in co more complex developer workflows and, you know, sort of getting off the island of like, we have to build everything ourselves using Symfony, mm -hmm. using Twig. Um, these are all great things. And now I think there's a bit of a correction happening where maybe correction is the wrong word, but a, um, a re-engagement of, yeah. of, you know, focusing and shining a light on, okay, now let's, uh, you know, imp we've, we've built this, uh, built this foundation. Uh, now we can also uh, improve the sort of the site builder experience if you're coming to the project, coming to the product mm -hmm. for the reasons that you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So modern Drupal pros are obviously the most of what you could do in Drupal 7, if not all, there's like a one-to-one -one match in modern Drupal. And more, and more. Of course, and there's so much more. There's configuration management, there's um, just a much more powerful theming system, all, all kinds of things. Okay, so what else is a pro? Like you maintain security, you're gonna stay, be able to stay secure. Right. Some of the cons are, it's gonna be a lot of effort, or at least it's an effort. It's not super simple. You're going to have to do a migration, you're going to have to rebuild your theme. Like there is going to be an effort. Assuming you wanted to just keep everything as is, there's still an effort. There's no simple push a button, move from Drupal 7 to Drupal 10. Correct. And I would say, you know, the, the competitive landscape is different now than mm -hmm. when Drupal 7, you know, was released and during Drupal 7's active lifetime. So, you know, if you have a site that you don't need um, a ton of custom functionality. Um, and you, at the time, were, you know, when you select Drupal 7, we're just selecting, oh, I need a CMS. And, um, you know, you have more options now yeah. than you had then. Drupal is still an option, and it's a great option if you, you know, um, want to rely on a lot of the functionality that's in the contrib community, which is flourishing and fantastic. Mm -hmm or you want to implement custom functionality. But if that's not needed for the site that you mm -hmm. um, have in mind or the site that you have, then you can evaluate other things as well. Yeah, there's so many other options. What, what comes to mind for you? The first one that comes to mind for me is what we moved our site to, which is Eleventy. 
which for those that don't know, Chromatic's website had been on Drupal for, I mean, a decade plus. No, like a decade and a half. Yeah. Uh, and probably going back to Drupal 5 and 6 and 7 and then all the way up till we were probably on Drupal 9 when we sunset it. Right. And the reason we chose, even though we're a Drupal agency um, with a ton of experience in Drupal and we build most of our sites with Drupal for our clients, we chose Elevendy because of its simplicity. We had a simpler site with not a ton of content and mostly evergreen content. And we were rebuilding our site um, and we wanted it to be fast and lightweight and not something that we had to, to spend a lot of time maintaining and dealing with dependencies and all that kind of stuff. So Elevendy comes to mind for me. It's a JavaScript based um, website platform. Static site really, generator. Static site generator. You can't really call it a CMS, but it, it, the end result is the same. You get the ability to create content easily and 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 throw it up uh, on the web pretty quickly. So what are the things that come to mind for you? you well, know, I would just add Elevendy? a little bit to that. I think it's a great case study because, you know, we really looked at you know, our team and what our site needed to be and evaluated it on its own. We love working with Drupal. And I think for so long we had just defaulted to that, but we always talk to our clients about, you know, we're going to use the best tool for, for any individual job and our website and the needs of our website were very different, uh, than the needs of most of our clients websites. Mm -hmm. So our clients, um, you know, usually, um, the editors that are working on the site day to day are usually less technical than we are. It's safe mm -hmm. to say, like we're a pretty mm -hmm. technical group. Um, you know, so it was, you know, just as comfortable to us working in Markdown, for example, as it was working in a web UI. Um, we were comfortable setting up those build workflows and things like that. And as you noted, like our site is not complicated. Mm -hmm. Clients frequently, they might have, 50,000 pieces of content, 100,000 pieces of content. Mm -hmm. um, that's a completely different problem space as an agency's website where, yeah. yeah, we've got a few hundred blog posts, but other than that, we don't have that many pages. Like that's yeah. not, uh, and they're not getting updated daily. Um, so it's a completely different problem space. So I say all that for the, you know, for the folks that might be listening to this and say, well, where does my website fit? And, you know, and we did the same thing that I just described where we said, okay, well, these options didn't exist when we first built the site and mm -hmm. we had a triggering event, right? We had a new brand mm -hmm. and we were working on a new, uh, website design. And that was our moment to say, okay, are we going to, you know, implement, where are we going to implement this on the existing, um, platform that we have, or is this a moment to reevaluate? So yeah. that was our triggering event. What are the other options out there that didn't exist when someone was picking Drupal seven? And of course there's so many, so many out there that we could probably spend an hour talking about it, but what comes to mind, what bubbles up for you? Squarespace. Mm -hmm. you Don't know, say that, Wix, but Squarespace. Squarespace is the, you know, the one that pops to my mind where people who um, want to have a presence, have a homepage, have a small marketing site. It's just a few pieces of content. Uh, E-commerce too, they've got it all on the web. Yeah, uh, you know, you know that didn't exist. Uh, mm -hmm. Didn't I don't believe it, it existed when Drupal 7 was released. It certainly uh, didn't have the same 
um, reach the um, what's the uh, what's the giant e-commerce platform that's prevalent now? Um, you know, did not exist. Um, help me out. Um, you're, you're, I don't know what you're talking about. Now I'm gonna it's Google right. while we are while we, Shopify. Shopify. Oh, do you have an e-commerce site? You know, you would. You probably already have evaluated Shopify and and considered mm -hmm. it's you know it's so pervasive. How many sites do you buy something online and check out, and you get to that checkout page and you're like, oh, this is a Shopify site. So yep. um, you can build great e-commerce sites on Drupal. We've built them. We we work on them. Um, but Shopify is a is an example of an option that just didn't exist. Um, you know when you know, Drupal seven in the era of Drupal sevens release. So yeah. those are, those are places that, you know, products that people are likely evaluating now and comparing them to options yeah. uh, like Drupal. All right. Those are some good, we've got static site generators. We've got sort of uh, websites as a service and website functionality as a service. So both Squarespace and Shopify. Um, if we talk quickly about the pros and cons of those sites as a service, is that what you call it? I don't know. But like, for example, I run my personal website on Squarespace because I just don't have time to be doing all the knob turning. I, you know, my calendar is full and I've got two kids and uh, life is full and I like to work out and like all this stuff. So I chose Squarespace, but it drives me crazy because yes, it gives me almost all the functionality I want for free, but it's so hard to customize. Mm -hmm. Like it's not like Drupal where it's like, yeah, you get all this stuff for free and you can hook in and like change literally everything. With tools like Shopify and Squarespace, you kind of get what you get. So if you want right. to customize the workflow for after a purchase and what emails get sent or how that UI looks, you're pretty limited. Um, I'm sure the Shopify and Squarespace folks are gonna come for us and be like, actually, you can do this if you, you know, whatever. But for the most part, it's very difficult to customize. So that's one of the strong cons. Um, well, and you said you get almost yeah. everything you want to do, for example. But as soon as you hit that one thing, mm -hmm. um, and obviously in your case, you're like, okay, I have a you know a personal website. Like, if there's mm -hmm. something I might maybe want to do, but I can't. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, right. right. But you're not you're not making money, uh, as far as I know, from your personal website and from your homepage. Not yet. Um, not yet, right? So, um, so you can live with that. You can be like, yeah. okay, well, this was easy. I can't do everything that I wanted to do, but I'll live. Um, and you know, it's a bit of a different story if it's uh, a site for your business. If it's something you're dependent on, then you're weighing those options suddenly is quite different. But the major pros of both of those is most of the functionality you'd want for an e-commerce site or for a basic portfolio site or a basic personal website or blog, you kind of get it all for free. You can go from zero to 60 very quickly and you're paying with your dollars for those folks to keep it all working and keep it all secure. So you're kind of just throwing a little bit of money over the wall and you're getting in return like peace of mind. You right. don't have to have a dev team and, but you don't have all that custom customization. Okay, the final option is if you're still on Drupal 7 and you want to keep this site around, but well, I'm sure there's other options, but the final option we're going to talk about on today's episode is you could export and just go to like a flat site. So there are a number of different ways that you could take uh, an existing Drupal 7 site or really any site that is dynamically generated 
and sort of export it out into flat HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Uh, Mark, you want to talk a little bit about like what does that mean and like what are the pros and cons of that? Sure. So you know, just like we talked about with our site, you know, generating a static site. So we have uh, a bunch of content and configuration and and the workings of the site. And then, you know, when we ship it, you know, any when we ship any change, any new blog post, it actually generates and builds a set of flat HTML, CSS, JavaScript files. Mm -hmm. And that's what gets put on the web. So the output um, is just what we were building on the web 20 years ago, um, essentially. And no blink tags, I don't think. But uh, but other than that, you know, I like same. marquee. Marquee was marquee. Favorite. Thank you. I first started writing websites, and I could have stuff scrolling. It blew my mind. And those were the days. Those were the days. And a little animated GIF under construction GIF. I think. What was your first website? I can tell you what mine was. It was on. I think it was on GeoCities, and mm. it was a Metallica fan page. It was so sick. I definitely had a GeoCities site, and then at some point I uh built and was running some kind of like star wars gaming news site that i was, was I kind not, of in, how did i not know this inspired by um you know i don't know if you remember like blues news back in the day is inspired by like the quake news oh, community um wow. you know uh all that stuff and I, so i was doing that but i mean i was a teenager i was basically scouring the web for um for rumors and news and then posting about yeah i wish i could find it i wish i could find the good old days on archive.org or something like that but i haven't, Anyways, I haven't so, found it yet. Uh, forgive the digression that was awesome i did yeah. not know you ran a star wars oh yeah news, the cantina news, i think i uh, call anyways um good <laughs> it was really cool in 1995 to um, you and three other people on yes there. yes um so what were we talking about Oh, it's that step yeah. of flattening the sites. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, so you could do the same similar thing where um, you've taken a Drupal site. And right now, when you, um, you know, you load a Drupal page in the browser, you know, the, the web server is generating uh, the markup and then serving it. So at runtime, when it's requested. At, at request time, essentially. So, there are some tools that will allow you to go through and pre-generate all of those pages, all of your possible pages, um, and flatten them into HTML, CSS, JavaScript files. And you could just save that uh, and, yeah. and make that public on the web and replacing the live generation from a CMS from Drupal. Um, and that the pros of that are that you won't be running a, a, a back end essentially that has security vulnerabilities post end of life. And, um, you know, the pros are also that it takes a lot fewer server resources, a lot simpler mm -hmm. server configuration. Uh, all, you know, you don't need to configure PHP. You don't need all, you know, all the web server needs to serve is vanilla HTML, JavaScript, CSS as the um, web was intended. So you could have a much smaller, cheaper server configuration and not have some of those security risks. The cons are that um, you don't have any of the benefits that you get from having a CMS, not 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 easily anyway. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to change your design or change something in your header or footer, um, 
once it's been flattened and you're no longer running Drupal anymore, uh, that depend. That's a tall order, depending on how many pages you have to change. Yeah, you'd on. have to make all those changes in every one of those flattened files. Right. Um, you could, in theory, keep Drupal running internally. Mm -hmm. um, now that's not going to maybe save you as much on hosting resources and stuff like that. But you could set up some kind of workflow where um, Drupal continues to be your CMS internally, and just when you make changes it generates and build, rebuilds those flat files. So you yeah. essentially turn Drupal into a static site generator. So Correct. there's sort of a one-time option that's like, we do this once, we export mm -hmm. these flat files, we put it up on the web and we call it a day, we shut down our CMS. Um, and, you know, that's a very simple, straightforward option uh, if things aren't gonna need to change. Uh, and you just want to have this archive available. Mm -hmm. um, but the more complicated version of that would be you keep you keep Drupal running internally, you turn Drupal into a static site generator, essentially, yeah. and you have some kind of workflow to publish those builds every time yeah. you make a change. Um, There's That is obviously a, a, an option and one that is working really well in practice for you know some of the most popular blogs in the world. I can't say that they're running Drupal, but like, for example, John Gruber's website, daringfireball.net, um, who you and I both devour daily it is running on movable type and has been for like 20 years yeah 20 plus years or something like a really long time and it's running in that same move no one is using movable type anymore like it's definitely not as much as drupal 7 I now we're gonna get the movable, movable yeah. people coming after us yeah well maybe i i'd love to talk to them <laughs> I, I think my, my first one of the first jobs i interviewed for was a movable type gig and I was terrified. I was like, I don't know how to use any of these templates. Um, anyhow, uh, that is proof that that sort of approach is is uh, viable. That you can run a CMS firewalled privately, not exposed to the public internet, that could generate all of the content for your website and it give you the benefits of the CMS and the benefits of uh, a statically generated site. Um, so you don't, you don't have to throw away the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. Um, and that would be a really interesting problem to solve if we have, uh, if anyone listening to this podcast is like, Ooh, I don't want to throw away Drupal seven. I don't I want to spend all that. If I can keep it running and keep my site auto generating every time I publish some updates, um, I kind of get the best of both worlds and I probably can do it for a lot cheaper. That would be fun as hell for you and I to build and, and work on. Yeah. I would just flag that it's very easy for us to yada yada the security parts in this scenario you know so we could say oh you, you make it internal and there's less risk but you know there's different versions of this like if you're a big organization and you've made the cms internal only it could still be accessible to a lot of people yeah security is still um you know the you know the lack of security support is still concerning there so i don't want to paint that as yeah uh like a good option for everyone. But, you know, we've talked today about a, a bunch of different uh, variables. Yeah, about a bunch of, uh, a big scale of people's different scenarios. So it definitely is an option. Yeah, okay, fair. I still wanna build that. I think that would be fun yeah. to make. And it might, you know, it might solve a real problem for some folks who are like, yeah, 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 yeah. I wanna 
we're going to get to Drupal 10 or we're going to move to Contentful or we're going to go somewhere else, but we're not doing it right now because the economy is in the bag and I don't have sure. any budget. Like I need a, I need a midterm, you know, a, a short-term solution. Um, so yeah, interesting. Yeah. Especially if, you know, if you have a triggering event that you know is going to happen, maybe you thought it was already going to happen. Maybe you have a redesign coming or mm -hmm. something like that. And, but it, you're just not confident that it's going to be ready and complete before the Drupal end of Drupal seven end of life date. Well, then maybe one of these yeah. interim options is a good one for you. Yeah. All right. I think we're 40 minutes plus. This we should is wrap longest, it up. Longest episode by far. Let's wrap it up real quick. Just a bump again that we have a webinar coming up a week from today. You can sign up on our website. The link will be in the show notes. We'll cover the risks you face staying on Drupal 7. We'll cover some of the options. We'll go in depth on some of the topics we've covered on this podcast uh, that you know time wouldn't afford. And uh, of course, again, if you can't make that time slot, sign up anyways, and we'll send you an email with a link to the recording. And Mark has a mid-camp session coming up at the end of the month. Mark, what's the title of that session? I'm gonna be talking about uh task runners and robo and how they can help you improve your workflows wicked awesome it's okay. gonna be great episode three in the books see you soon thanks chris see you, brother.